When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The Rose Water Collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Available now from iHeart, a new series presented by T-Mobile for Business, The Restless Ones. Join me, Jonathan Strickland, as I explore the coming technological revolution with the restless business leaders who stand right on the cutting edge. They know there is a better way to get things done, and they are ready, curious, excited for the next technological innovation to unlock their vision of the future. In each episode, we'll learn more from the restless ones themselves and dive deep into how the 5G revolution could enable their teams to thrive. The Restless Ones is now available on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. I'm Molly. Molly, at your request, I am starting off this episode with... A personal anecdote. I think it's a pretty cute one myself. I don't know if cute's the right word. Well, nothing's cute when you're that age that you're about to tell the story about. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, it's an awkward time. It is an awkward time. And the time that we are talking about is when I first shaved my legs. How old were you? I was probably 11. Oh, no, everything's cute at 11. I thought you were older. No, okay, okay. I'm about to stop ruining my story, Mom. <laughs> Let me tell my story. So I'm about 11 years old. It is the day before Easter. Hmm. It's a Saturday, obviously. The Easter Bunny's on his way. The Easter Bunny's on his way. I've got my my new Easter Sunday dress. An Easter bonnet? No Easter bonnet that oh. year. Um, and I decided that along with my new Easter dress, I wanted to debut some freshly shaven legs. So... <laughs> So I asked my mom if I could shave my legs Mm -hmm. and she was a little hesitant about it. Had you asked her before? Was this the first time you asked her? Yeah, I think that there had been a Mm buildup. I'd been wanting to do this for a while. I was starting to feel like I was really coming into my own as a woman (laughs) at that age. And so she relented and said, you can shave your legs on the one condition that you don't go past your knees. And I said, okay. And I kind of see the reasoning behind that. I think the knee is a a tough area to shave. It's all bumpy. Yeah, but she was talking about, you know, I had to stop like at my kneecap. I couldn't even go over my kneecap. Yeah, and it is, it is tough tough area. It is tough territory. Still, so I I shaved my legs and I felt like a woman that next day in church in my new dress and my, my cool, um, shaved calves. But then there came a point when uh really started to bug me that I, you know, had hairy knees. That line existed. Yeah, it was a line. And finally, uh, my breaking point came a little while later when a boy that I liked at the time asked me what was up with my legs. And he pointed <laughs> to the hairline. And oh, my was, gosh. And I was mortified. And I came home that night and I took it all off. I kind of can't believe that a boy of that age had the the, you know... 
the nerve to say something like that. I feel like boys don't like to point out things about well, I ladies' think, bodies. I think he just didn't really know what was going on because it probably did look a little odd. And I remember it very vividly. We were sitting Indian style side by side, like at playtime of some sort. And, uh, yeah, and he just looked down and said, girl, what's, what's up with your, your legs? It's kind of gross. And I said, OMG. Wow, you had a, that boy, I can see why you had a crush on that boy. He looked like Jonathan Taylor Thomas. (gasps) No. Now you get it. I do get it a little bit. So there we go. That's my story of when I started shaving my legs for the first time. But what I didn't realize until we started doing this podcast was that, uh, I actually have Harper's Bazaar (laughs) to thank. Can we make that transition? Is that a smooth transition? I don't think it is. But. Today, we're going to talk about why I wanted to shave my legs in the first place. Yeah, and this is one of our most often requested podcasts. Yes. People want to know why they're taking their body hair off. And it's not that people are opposed to it. Um, You know, sometimes you might see some sort of feminist analysis of shaving legs, and they'll say, oh, women are fine just the way they are. Mm -hmm. Don't shave your legs. It's not the people who like that who are writing us. It's people who do it anyway, who don't have a problem doing it thinks it looks nice. Mm-hmm. They just want to know why they do it. Why do we do it? Why do we keep up as women all of this hair removal? And we're just going to stick to the legs today in terms of hair removal. We're talking about why are we shaving our legs. That's it. Pretty focused. But the thing about it is didn't really start with the legs. We had to start somewhere else to get down to the legs. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. That's right, Kristen. And that is one of the coolest facts to me about shaving legs is it did not start with the legs. Nope. And uh, to to explain the story of how women began to shave their legs, specifically in the United States, Mm -hmm. uh, it's very U.S. focused today. We have to go back to 1982 and a scholar named Christine Hope, who wrote a very monumental article called called Caucasian Female Body Hair in American Culture. A well-named study, if I do say so myself. Yeah, it kind of gets to the point. Gets to the point very quickly. And what she does is she goes through all these old magazines to figure out when the first ads for razors and uh, hair removal creams, when they start appearing, and uh, tries to make some uh, conclusions about that. And as Kristen said, the first ad that appears to tell women to remove their hair, it's about your underarms. Yes, that's where we started. And I think that we should point out, too, that in terms of the history of shaving legs and hair removal, this isn't something that women have been doing for all the ages. Yes, if you go back to ancient Egypt, you have records of women using like hot wax and crushed up shells to scrape hair off of um, off their bodies. But it really isn't it isn't something that we continue throughout time. It's something that all of a sudden in the uh, the early 20th century comes up again. And it has to do with, surprise, the Gillette Corporation. Okay, Gillette, the manufacturers of disposable razors. Gillette had had a lot of success selling disposable razors to men. And so obviously they wanted to grow their business and therefore needed to expand their market. So they wanted to figure out how they could sell the same product to women. Right. In 1915, that's when they had their first razor for women come onto the market and then in, and that will be the year that we see the first razor ad in Harper's Bazaar. But we've got to talk about some other things that are happening at the same time. Fashions are a changing. They are changing. Yes. All of a sudden we have the emergence of popular dresses that are either sleeveless or have very sheer sleeves so that you might be able to get a peek at some underarm hair. And uh, the, the hemlines start to rise around the same time, but those aren't as big a factor because mm. the other thing happening 
is stockings and pantyhose are coming on the market. Right. So you wouldn't necessarily have to shave your legs to wear those. Yeah. Um, but then later people start to say, well, let's shave our legs and wear stockings. Now it's significant that the first ad for razors popped up in Harper's Bazaar because Harper's Bazaar was marketed specifically toward upper class women. Right. So there's some scholars who say it's a very much a top down mm-hmm. phenomenon that these are the women who can first afford these beautiful sleeveless dresses. And these dresses become sort of the justification for moving your underarm hair. Right, because it's not going to be until two years later in 1917 that we start seeing anti-underarm hair ads pop up in more middle-class magazines like McCall's. Now, let's talk about this first ad, this 1915 ad. It was in Harper's Bazaar, as Kristen said, and the copy read... Fashion says evening gowns must be sleeveless or made with the merest suggestion of gauzy sleeves of tulle or lace. The woman of fashion says the underarms must be as smooth as the face. Right, because that was another interesting distinction that Gillette made between men shaving and women shaving. Whereas men shave off their beards, their stubble on their faces, they marketed underarm shaving as smoothing for women. Shaving was never said because that's something the men do. Right. And even mentioning the fact that, you know, at this point we aren't really shaving our legs yet. And that's probably because even talking about a woman's legs was very risque at the time. Oh my, no. Because we know that women's legs lead up to the private parts. The private parts. In fact, when the first ads start appearing about shaving the legs, they don't even say legs. Yeah, they couldn't even use limbs. Limbs. And um, the ad is, as you can tell, it, it makes this uh, excuse out of the fact that you're wearing this beautiful dress. Mm-hmm. Everything about you should be smooth, including the dress. And uh, ads that followed up after that were very kind of educational. Right. They would ex- instruct women on how to use their product. And the product itself may not be front and center so much as the instructions on how to use it, why you're using it. These 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 product makers really had to educate the women on why they're shaving their legs and are their their underarms and how to do it just because as we said no one was doing it up till this point right. you didn't have to and and not just educating them in terms of how to remove the hair but educating them in the sense of quote unquote teaching them this idea that underarm hair is offensive women's underarm hair is something that you, you it's unclean this is also during the victorian era they're all about you know like bizarre sanitation personal um sanitation and so they attach underarm hair as this filthy filthy thing because this is also around the time that we have the emergence of deodorants and mouthwashes mouth yeah when it's when we have the uh the, this idea that things like body odor and bad breath and now underarm hair are things that a woman you know are just should not associate herself with at all. If you want to be feminine, you smell good, and you have smooth underarms. Right. I think I was reading that Listerine wasn't even originally used as a mouthwash, and it was just because they needed to build up this idea of a woman's daily toilet, mm-hmm. if you will, that they started, you know, just throwing these products at it. So if if you resent shaved legs, you kind of have to resent the whole part and parcel. <laughs> like, no one resents brushing their teeth. It's just something you do. But it's because I think this one is so gender specific mm-hmm. that, you know, people are like, why are we doing this? Right. Um, and, you know, that was the one thing they played on ideas of hygiene, but they also played on the idea of this is what a proper woman does. And at that point, everyone wanted to be the proper woman who had the latest fashion, who had the smoothest underarms mm-hmm. and, and who followed all these trends that these ladies magazines like Harper's Bazaar, which were becoming so popular. Right. We're pushing at it. So it's, it's kind of a convergence of a lot of factors. You've got fashion magazines. 
um, and all these other products coming on the market at the right. same time. Corporations wanting to, well, I guess not corporations at the time, but these businesses that are growing and become these household brands today, pushing their products. But it takes, like we said earlier, it takes a while for underarm shaving to trickle down to the masses because it's not until 1922 that Sears Roebuck starts to sell not only the sheer sleeve dresses, but also women's razors and hair removal creams. So now once we're in the 20s, it's pretty firmly established that women are shaving their underarms. But what about the legs, Molly? We haven't even gotten to the legs. Well, the first ad to promote hair removal from the limbs, as we said, you can't say the word legs, uh, appeared in May of 1918. So that's a full three years after the underarm ad. And, you know, a lot of these scholars, especially Christine Hope, who was sort of the, the pioneer in looking at all these ads, when you look at the number of underarm ads that there were about smoothing your underarms, it was astronomical. Like mm-hmm. every issue had so many. But when we get to these limb removal ads, they don't explode in the same way that the underarms did. The number is just not as great. And the focus is different. They don't have to talk women into doing it mm-hmm. the way they had to with the underarm ads. So right. the ads are completely different. They're fewer and they're they're just sort of selling the product, not the idea of removing the leg, the, the hair from your legs. So just how changing fashions had a big role in women starting to shave their underarms. Once again, fashion comes into play for shaving legs because around World War II, we have hemlines start to rise. We also have this uh, kind of rise of the pinup girl mm. who's wearing the short shorts, the Betty Grables. Okay. And um, Christine Hope points out that maybe that's one of the reasons why women start shaving their legs. We have bikinis coming in to style. All of a sudden, women's legs are on fuller display. And with World War II, we have the silk stockings going away because of the uh, the silk shortage. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, women are parading around more with bare legs. Uh, Got to get that hair off. Yeah. And it was because I think that, you know, of the underarm you know, bonanza. I mean, just all these ads you saw about your underarms being smooth. I think women got the point that if this hair needs to be removed, the rest of the hair needs to go as well. So it wasn't as big a sell as it had to be with the underarms, but we, uh, we absorbed it nonetheless. And I think it's interesting that it's, it's, it's such a short history. I think that because we hear all these facts about like ancient Greek statues, not having pubic hair or women using hot tar to take off their leg mm-hmm. hair in, in ancient times, we think this is something that's been going on forever. But fact of the matter is, 1920s for underarms, 1940s, it hits hard for the legs. And and we've just kept going since then. Yeah, Christine Hope uh, pinpoints it down to 1941 to 1945, which she calls a minor assault on leg hair. <laughs> minor. When it, yeah, when it really starts to take off. And I guess once we're in the late 40s and 50s, it just becomes part of a lady's toilet, like you said. And, you know, there's always this kind of, I think, a, a knee-jerk feminist thing to say is that, you know, some man decided this was attractive and we're all doing it to be attractive to men. But when you realize that it was sort of a combination of fashion, these dresses that women wanted to wear and these magazines that women were helping to edit and write and selling to their friends, um, you know, it, a lot of scholars would say it's uh, it's more of a consumer up product you know, mm-hmm. consumer up idea than it was necessarily like the patriarchy down. Kristen Hansen, a researcher at Barnard, brought up this point in a paper that she wrote that went back and reexamined Christine Hope's 1982 paper and also took another took another crack at why women shave their legs. And she also makes the point that, you know, women aren't necessarily victims to some kind of ad campaign. Sure. Gillette had a big a big hand in, you know, 
perpetuating this idea that women need to smooth their bodies out. But at the same time, like you said, it's the women who are buying these magazines, who are doing it, who are passing along this information to their friends, creating these trends. And I think that that's a good thing to keep in mind when we're talking about these kinds of social things that we're taught constitute femininity, such as smelling good and wearing makeup and shaving our legs and shaving our underarms. A lot of times I think in feminist discourse, it's sort of painted as women being the victims to these evil advertising campaigns. But at the same time, you know, we're just as active in adopting them. And that is a perfect segue, Kristen, to another paper we read for this podcast called The Hairless Ideal by Susan A. Bassow. And she talks about how there is this ideal of femininity associated with shaving legs and how, you know, in the 60s and 70s, when we've got first wave feminism coming up, a lot of feminists chose not to shave their legs so that they weren't taking part in that sort of, you know, cultural ideal of of womanhood and saying that a woman can be any of these things. So what Bassow does in the year of 1991, when, you know, some of this this feminism has settled down, Mm -hmm. she wants to see, you know, if we still maintain this as an ideal of femininity. And what she does is she gets a bunch of women from the National Women's Studies Association and a bunch of women from the American Psychological Association. And she wants to find out why they shaved their legs Mm -hmm. here in the 90s, because she figures that these women from the Women's Studies group are more exposed to these feminist arguments about, you know, you're just buying into this male gaze to what men find attractive, Mm -hmm. to what society tells you to do. And she figures that the group from the APA is a little bit more of a control group, that these are women who probably shave their legs for, you know, a boyfriend or a husband or for a more superficial reason than she imagines these women's studies that gals will. Mm -hmm. Um, But what she finds is there's no real big difference between the groups that, yes, uh, feminism does correlate with uh, the women who don't shave their legs. Um, But come, you know, when you put them all together, pretty much they're all shaving their legs. Yeah, by and large, the majority of women shave their legs. And even in follow-up studies that have been done, not by the same researcher, but other women who have taken these kinds of surveys to find out how many women really are shaving their legs and underarms, there was a study as recent as 2008 that found that 96% of the women that they surveyed shave their legs or underarms or some kind of hair removal on a regular basis. Yeah, I don't think that you turned up a study that had a percentage of less than 90% of women shaving their legs, no matter the group. You know, they'll try and separate them out by all these ways they think women won't shave their legs. And uh, it just just keeps coming up. But the reasons why women shave their legs um, do differ, at least as indicated in that 1991 paper that you're talking about, depending on sexuality. Mm -hmm. She tries to make the point that depending on your sexuality, you will shave your legs for um, with different motivations. So what Bassel did in this paper is she not only polled the women on how often they shaved, whether they shaved, etc., but she also polled them on how they identified sexually. And what she found was For the lesbians in the group who shave their legs, their major motivation for shaving was to essentially fit in socially. Mm -hmm. That they didn't, they, they were worried that they would get odd looks if they, uh, you know, were sporting hairy underarms or hairy legs. And then heterosexual women did it essentially to look attractive, just feel attractive, not necessarily to attract men, but just to feel Feel nice, feel good. Though feel having a partner did predict frequency that which they shave their legs. Yes. 
And then bisexuals apparently just liked the feeling of their smooth skin. And, you know, we talked about how when they were first trying to sell women on this idea of removing body hair, they talked about this Victorian ideal of body hair being unclean, that it was gross. It needs to be removed just for hygienic reasons. Mm -hmm. And when uh, Bassa went through and, and asked people, you know, is this a factor? No one rated that as a factor. Right. That that sort of disgust sensitivity, as mm-hmm. some researchers have turned it, is not a factor anymore in women shaving their legs. It's been become so wholly adopted by us in such a short period of time. Remember, 1941 to 1945 is the great leg assault, as uh, Hope termed it. And in that short period of time, we, uh, you know, it's just something that we do naturally. Yeah, it was the thing to do is the number one reason for starting to shave your leg in both of those groups that that uh, Bassow investigated. It was the thing to do, followed by the number two reason, which was women are supposed to shave. So it's just something we know that we do mm-hmm. as women. And fashion still influences it a lot as well, because also in these surveys, they found that women tend to shave more during, say, the summer when their legs might be on parade, as opposed to the winter when we can throw on some tights, some leggings, some jeans. No one's going to see those hairy legs. We can kind of take a break or let our legs go into hibernation for a little while. Maybe that's just me. (laughs) Now, one footnote that we do want to end on is, as we said, Hope's paper puts the word Caucasian front and center. Yes. Front and center. Very good point. It's the first word in the, the, the article. Um, and there is not as much data on what women of other ethnicities or colors do with their leg hair. So while Basel surveyed a majority white women, the black women that she polled did shave their legs less frequently mm-hmm. than white women. It's not as, at least according to her small data set. And she pointed that out. She said, this is, a, you know, this is a small population that I'm polling right here. However, there's already, even within a small population, a big difference in terms of the percentage of women who just don't shave at all. And then, of course, we can remember um, the Oscars when Monique didn't shave her legs and everyone freaked out. Yeah. And, you know, there's a trend piece in the New York Times that we pulled up that talks just about how black women view it differently than white women and how we were more shocked when someone like, you know, Monique pulls up her skirt and has these huge unshaved legs than when Julia Roberts lifted her arm at one premiere and had unshaved underarms. Yeah. Well, I mean, people freaked out just as much, especially with the with the underarm. Because it's supposed to be so smooth. Exactly. We're supposed to smooth our, our, our skin, ladies. And smooth our limbs, not our legs. Not our legs, our limbs. Well, on that note, we want to know what you guys think about shaving legs. Is it, have you given up on it? Do you still do it? Do, do you, think you still it's a, cut yourself? Do you think it's a bad thing that we've completely adopted this idea of shaving legs as part of women's hygiene routine and do you buy the reasons if, if are women just really doing it because they think they have to or are they secretly doing it to be attractive to men because no one really owned up to that in Bass House paper so those are the questions we've got we want to hear from you it's momstuff at howstuffworks.com or leave a comment on our Facebook page leave a comment on our Facebook page or uh, on our blog and we will read really quick a few emails I have one about the Scandinavia podcast, and it's from someone who is Norwegian, Kristen. But she lives in Belgium. She writes, Norway is not perfect when it comes to gender equality, but the difference between Norway and a lot of other countries is that it takes women seriously. The parental leave is obviously wonderful, but I think mentality is our biggest asset. Girls do not grow up thinking they can't do something because they are girls, and boys are taught to help around the house. Of course, girls play with dolls and boys with cars, but they are not treated very differently. I see a big difference between Belgium and Norway when it comes to women's roles in the family. 
I'm a mother, but I do not simply see myself as that. I am still me, and I think this is what being treated equally does to you. In Norway, women are more independent, and they are not afraid to put themselves out there. It's not all about caring for your kids or a husband. You're allowed, actually encouraged, to have the proverbial room of one's own and to keep on developing and learning throughout your life. I think that's pretty cool. And I do, too. So also in our podcast about Scandinavia, Molly, we brought up a politician named Mona Sahlin, and she is running for the presidential ticket in Sweden for the Social Democratic Party. And we talked about this New York Times article, I believe it was in, that we ran across, saying that her gender might have, um, might be one reason why her campaign isn't going so hot. Mm-hmm. So we have an anonymous listener who wrote in to kind of give us the inside scoop because she's been living in Sweden for the past year. And she says, yes, the Social Democratic Party is a bit of a mess right now. However, I honestly believe that if a man were in her position, he would have taken just as much of a hit as Salin has in this past election. Without going into details on the issues of the party, many Swedes believe that much of Salin's issue wasn't that she was a woman. But since this election was fought much on personality, she simply didn't have the charisma that a party leader needed for the Social Democrats to bounce back in this election. As for the competence of the U.S. media, I think so few people give two thoughts about Sweden that they need to sex up whatever articles do make it to press. Among political types like myself, who are plugged into Swedish politics, not one person I spoke with, nor media source I read, focused on Mona's gender. So it is sort of the media playing it up. Yeah, I absolutely think the media plays it up. Very interesting. And we should say that right after that podcast came out, the newest list of uh, the most gender-friendly countries in the world was published. Guess who won, Molly? Iceland. Iceland. The spot for our next vacation together. Yes. So, if you're from Iceland, please write us. and Please write us and uh, send us some airplane tickets. <laughs> We'd like to go to Iceland. Everyone else can write us, too. And like I said, it's momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And as Kristen said, we're also on Facebook, and we'd love to see your comments there. We're also on Twitter. It's Mom Stuff Podcast. And we also have a blog. We have every single kind of social media you could have. And our blog is at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair. But Pantene is changing that. Pantene's Rosewater Collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben, dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.